Hi everyone, this is Aaron Larson, Executive Editor of Power Magazine, and you're listening to the Power Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Nick Wilson. Nick is the Director of Product Management for Weather and Climate Risk with DTN. Nick, thank you for joining me. Please tell a little bit about yourself and your background. I appreciate the welcome, Aaron. So my name is Nick Wilson. Uh, I've been working at the intersection of weather and climate and the environment with uh, the operation of power utilities for a majority of my career. Got my start as a degreed meteorologist, but uh, quickly recognized that a business problem. Uh, after finishing my master's at the University of Oklahoma, I joined a global weather environmental measurement company called Vitsala, uh, where uh, I jumped in in a product management role to build out an application that helped correlate uh, the impact of lightning strikes to transmission operations. Um, after you know that initial time at the company, I then transitioned into a business development role where I helped Vaisala uh, enter uh, quite aggressively into the renewable energy market um, through the acquisition of uh, a couple companies providing both measurement as well as uh, operational intelligence data services. Uh, to build out uh, a book of business that could address the the problems faced by the wind and solar power industry. Uh, Then in my latter stages there, I shifted back over to product management and uh, leading teams uh, of product managers building operational intelligence solutions uh, for applications in aviation, transportation, and utilities. Uh, In 2020, it's uh, fresh in my mind uh, because I joined DTN uh, a month before COVID started. I joined to lead uh, product management for for DTN uh, globally for utilities. Um, DTN, for those of you that aren't familiar, is uh, a data and analytics company uh, that has its origins in the agriculture industry. Uh, The company was originally uh, founded through technology that, that leveraged uh, satellite and uh, remote computers located at uh, you know, farmsteads and grain elevators in order to communicate real-time uh, grain bed prices uh, to facilitate those markets. And over the years through acquisitions, DTN's grown uh, into the refined fuels market and the weather and climate intelligence space. Uh, so at DTN now, I lead a team of product managers that are leveraging our weather forecasting capabilities combining that with business and operational intelligence and using some of the state of the art artificial intelligence and machine learning techniques to create uh, prescriptive operational intelligence solutions that are focused at the aviation transportation business continuity and utility markets um, so it's a really exciting space to work in you know there's always uh, new ways to to leverage uh, the data sources and the problems that we're trying to solve across these industries. But uh, for me, you know, the, the problems and challenges faced by the utility industry are, are certainly paramount and uh, really enjoy working in this space. I think most of our listeners probably can understand why weather information is so important for the wind and power installations, because if you don't know if the sun is going to be shining or the wind is going to be blowing, you know, you can't really predict what uh, sort of output you're going to have from those types of renewable resources. So can you kind of explain why that's important to the power company and and why they need these accurate weather predictions and and what they do with that information? Yeah, sure. So renewable energy is is what we, uh, I'd say, politically correctly uh, call a... uh, 
intermittent resource, which means that uh, there's always, uh, of course, no guarantee that uh, the wind is going to blow to power wind turbines, nor is the sun going to shine in order to provide uh, a full uh, capacity to uh, a solar PV uh, installation. So first and foremost, utilities need to understand uh, as best as possible the forecast of the uh, environmental resources that are supplying these generation sources. It's ultra critical uh, because even small, slight changes in wind speed or solar radiation can have pretty substantial uh, impacts as far as the capacity factor that a renewable generator is operating at. You know, when you think about a wind turbine, uh, as the wind blows through its rotor blades, it's actually a volume of air that's passing through the, the turbine blades. So it, it's not only the wind speed that's a factor here. It's actually a, a cubic multiplier as far as the impact to power generation based on very small changes to wind speed. So, you know, when you, you add up all those factors, you know, you think about uh, other things that may not be readily apparent, such as uh, what we call wake effects, you know, the interaction of multiple wind turbines at a, at a wind farm installation, um, you know, the soiling of solar PV panels, uh, there's a lot of other factors uh, that are environmentally sensitive that play a huge role in uh, understanding what that forecast of generation is going to be. And uh, you need to understand what that variable resource or intermittent resource is that comes onto the system uh, because as a utility and a, a grid operator, you want to be able to take that marginally free resource on and use it as, as much as you possibly can. And, you know, the historic, you know, legacy power system wasn't constructed in order to have those types of, of generation resources. You know, you can't ramp up and down a fossil fuel plant given, you know, thermal stress. So, you know, you've seen a lot more, you know, combined cycle gas plants that can be ramped up and ramped down in order to accommodate uh, renewable generators. And uh, you're seeing more and more, you know, the feasibility and, and the cost structure of like battery storage and, um, other things that you can do on, on the, the demand side in order to better accommodate renewables. So it's a, a really complex, uh, interconnected system. Uh, and I think that, you know, with uh, the aggression uh, as far as the installation of renewables, uh, we've done a, a pretty good job uh, as far as modernizing our, our generation energy mix. So I'm no meteorologist. I'm I'm really curious about the work that you do, and I, I wonder what sort of data sources you utilize and what sort of forecasting techniques you rely on to predict weather-related challenges that, that power companies need to be aware of. What do you do, and how do you utilize these different uh, methods? I think as a starting point, in order to better predict the Earth's atmosphere. You need to have a, an incredible understanding of what are the current ambient conditions. And, you know, that's one of the, the areas that has advanced extremely uh, quickly. You know, we're accustomed to seeing, you know, weather station sites that are, are typically co-located with uh, airports uh, as being the main source uh, of weather observations. But, you know, those are few and far between. You know, the coverage in, uh, you know, first world countries is, is far more substantial than it is in rural and, and poorer parts uh, of the world. So the advent of satellite observation technologies, um, 
you know, the, the continued measurement of, of atmospheric conditions through things like weather balloons and, and radio sounds that are connected to them. You know, there's uh, other emerging remote sensing technologies that are constantly measuring our Earth's atmosphere, whether it's things that are, are more well-known like weather radars or uh, radiometers that are measuring uh, the amount of uh, moisture uh, in the Earth's atmosphere. You know, it's uh, a pretty complex ecosystem now of observational capabilities to characterize uh, the current state of uh, our Earth observation system. Um, so that's only that's only one aspect. Uh, and then, of course, you know, how do you proje- project uh, this complex mix of, of fluids that, that is our Earth's atmosphere over uh, broad geographies and far off spaces in time? And, you know, the advent of high-performance computing has really changed the game as far as weather forecasting. You know, we're able to downscale uh, and nest different types of models together to uh, start to resolve weather phenomenon as as small as, uh, you know, thunderstorm, you know, isolated thunderstorm development, which was really unheard of, you know, even just 10 years ago. So, you know, DTN, for example, we work extensively with Amazon Web Services as our high-performance computing platform partner. And, you know, that relationship and partnership has developed and paved the way for new types of computing instances that can speed and and marginalize the cost uh, of running very complex global weather models uh, in ways that has never been possible before. I was going to ask you how things have changed over the years. You, you kind of went into a lot of it already. I was kind of surprised to hear you mention something like a weather balloon. Is that still a thing? I mean, do they still actually use <laughs> weather balloons? Yeah, well, weather balloons, amazingly enough, Aaron, still are a thing. They're launched two times per day at thousands of sites globally uh, in order to collect you know, primarily temperature, pressure, humidity, uh, wind speed and direction information through uh, our Earth's atmosphere. Typically, it'll get a profile through, you know, say 50,000 feet above ground level. And that is still one of the, the most substantial sources of information that goes into our weather models. I'm really kind of surprised about that. It, it is interesting to me how artificial intelligence and things like that would be playing a bigger role in, in forecasts. Do you see that continuing to get better and better, you know, as we go forward in the near future? Yes, without a doubt. Artificial intelligence and machine learning capabilities. You know, I think the the weather modeling and and forecasting industry has always really been at the forefront of of using this type of technology because it is such a complex ecosystem. So many different variables that impact one another in different ways that, you know, these types of, you know, neural networks and, you know, random forest uh, types of technologies uh, that, that you hear about have been used in the weather industry for quite some time in order to correct the biases that exist in many weather forecast variables, uh, as well as now when you can combine that together with training data sets from a business organization like a power utility there's a lot of, of powerful outcomes that you can really tailor a, a weather model uh, and the intelligence attached to it uh, in order to solve really complex problems, mm-hmm. such as uh, predicting how many damage spots or incidents a power utility is going to have across its distribution system with 
the impact of uh, a tropical storm or hurricane event, for example. So what are the biggest challenges that you have to making accurate predictions, both for for long-term and short-term weather forecasts, and and how do those impact your customers or, you know, power generation companies in their strategic planning? I think with weather forecasting, you know, there's been amazing strides, I think, in some of the the published research that I've seen, you know, a five-day forecast today has the equivalent accuracy of, you know, what 15 years ago was a three-day forecast. So, you know, our ability to trust and take actionable decisions against weather forecast content improves every day. Uh, However, you know, weather forecasts are are never perfect. And what I see uh, is an increasing appetite and understanding of using what we call probabilistic forecasts. You know, so, you know, how do we take the scenarios that different weather models are interpreting of the forecasted weather and, you know, put that into context of a range of outcomes that could potentially happen uh, in regards to a specific weather variable, such as temperature or wind speed uh, or a potential business outcome, you know, such as what is going to be the uh, expected electricity load uh, across uh, a system or, you know, what is going to be the, the number of contractors that need to be mobilized and sourced in order to achieve an estimated time of restoration for a storm event. So do you do a lot of collaboration with utilities to kind of understand what their needs are and develop forecasts and, and data insights that will help them in ways that maybe they didn't even know they needed to be helped? Yeah, most definitely. I, I really enjoy working in the power utility space, Aaron, because uh, it's, you know, obviously there's there's exceptions in, in corners of the market, but it's largely such a collaborative industry because, you know, they obviously have their protected markets by geography and, you know, business type, whether they're a the distributor, generator, or a transmission provider of electricity, you know, they, they kind of have their own niche in the market and everyone is working together to identify best practices that can improve the power quality and uh, quality of life for all of their customers. So, you know, we find that, you know, when I attend industry trade shows or we host customer advisory board meetings, uh, the collaborative nature of the industry is, is quite uplifting. You know, so there's a, a lot of best practices that, that are being shared, you know, as far as the, you know, the use cases uh, in regards to how utilities are uh, changing their operational procedures to incorporate operational intelligence derived from uh, weather and climate-oriented forecasts. What type of feedback do they typically give you? I mean, are they pretty happy with the effectiveness of your products and, and how they are um, helping them? Uh, yes, uh, I think uh, you know mo- most utilities though uh, will will only uh, remember the the most recent event. Though there's a lot of recency bias bias in the uh, the power utility industry, so you're certainly all you can never rest on your laurels. You're always trying to continue to improve the the customer experience as far as how they're integrating weather and environmental information into their operations. Yeah, I think maybe it's a good point in time where I can run through a few of, of the applications that 
utilities are, are actually integrating and using environmental information in their operations. You know, one of the focal points for DTN is working with utility emergency preparedness teams in order to help them better understand and forecast at-risk weather, environmental hazards that are going to impact their overhead distribution operations, and understanding and communicating appropriately the outage impact risks. You know, some of the environmental hazards that are of concern for distribution utilities are, are high winds, uh, tornadoes, extreme heat. Uh, that can put a lot of strain if there's uh, especially, you know, 24-hour-plus high levels of, of moisture and heat on, on transformers and accentuating their failure. Uh, wildfire, of course, is uh, a huge topic right now given uh, the outcomes of the, the Maui electric uh, events uh, near Lahaina, as well as, you know, the, the heightened awareness with, you know, Pacific Gas and Electric and uh, the other utilities serving the state of California, as well as their neighbors. Uh, then when we think about, um, you know, the, the recent landfalls of Hurricane Adelia, um, Hurricane Lee up in Nova Scotia, you know, there's a lot of concerns about flooding and storm surge to uh, coastal residing assets like substations. Uh, and then in the wintertime, you know, heavy wet snow uh, and ice accretion can really uh, cause havoc to the, the overhead distribution and transmission system. Uh, another application is asset inspection. So after a storm goes through, you know, how does a utility prioritize where it's going to do inspection along its lines for uh, potential damage? Uh, you know, similarly, if they're your owner, operator, uh, or the one that's responsible for the O&M tied to a wind farm, you know, you want to identify where there could be blade damage so that you can proactively uh, identify compromises to the fiberglass blades before those become catastrophic. You know, one of the, the long-term applications has always been load forecasting. So, you know, how are you taking into consideration uh, historic trends as well as, you know, current events in regards to temperature, precipitation, cloud cover, time of day, time of year, uh, in regards to the, the typical amount of electricity use and consumption. You know, then you, you've got the renewable energy power forecasting application we already talked about where, you know, you're taking the, the prediction of the underlying env environmental resource and combining that with the rated capacity and uh, operations of uh, the respective OEM power generation technology. Then there's some emerging applications, you know, such as capital planning, where utilities are trying to climate adjust the uh, the age and, and understand the performance and condition monitoring of their assets in order to prioritize resiliency investments. You know, vegetation plays a strong uh, and close link to uh, the weather and climate. Um, you know, so if, if there's been, you know, a significant amount of rain, for example, you know, you could see a weakening of the root system. You'd see uh, faster growth of uh, vegetation that can start to inhibit lines and ultimately cause damage. And then, you know, one, another emerging area is, is building management or energy efficiency. So, you know, understanding the ambient environmental conditions and how that can alter uh, your heating and, and air conditioning strategies. Hmm. So uh, there's, there's so many linkages, you know, there's, uh, I never get tired of the, uh, the problems that our utility customers bring forward for DTN to try to solve. Yeah, it's amazing how many different things you can be involved in and, and how the weather affects all of them. And the forecasts are needed to to uh, make better predictions and, and track things. So it's really interesting. 
Do you find most of your customers are larger utilities or smaller utilities, or is it just kind of a combination of, of all that are out there, or who comes to you most for the uh, help? I'd say certainly the, the most significant uh, interest comes from large investor-owned utilities, but you know, we do our best to build a, a product portfolio that can serve the needs of any size utility. I guess an, you know an example of this is in the outage prediction space. Uh, you know that's largely been the domain of the extremely large investor-owned utilities that have uh, a lot of time uh, and resources to uh, dedicate towards you know making outage management system data available and you know providing infrastructure and asset data uh, that can be leveraged with artificial intelligence to create very high fidelity outage prediction models but you know what we recognized is you know there's a lot of interest from you know smaller co-ops and and municipal utilities uh, to gain accessibility to similar information so you know we've recently launched a product called storm risk analytics where we are building a community oriented outage prediction model where we can predict the amount of customers expected to be impacted by power outage on an hourly basis out to seven days in the future across North America. So you're really democratizing the types of environmentally and, and weather-driven insights uh, that we can provide the utility industry is important so that we can bring the uh, a similar level of benefits uh, to all electricity customers, no matter the, the size of utility that you're working with. You know, most utilities, you know, some of the largest investor-owned utilities do have the luxury of having meteorologists on staff, but for the most part, utilities are leaning on vendors such as DTN in order to serve as their expert partner uh, in regards to weather and risk communication in order to take the appropriate decisions ahead and after storms. I kind of suspected that, that some of the larger utilities that have more money available and, and more funding might have their own departments that focus on that, which is why I thought maybe the smaller utilities would be more involved with you guys. But it does make sense that they'd come to you as the expert and just tap into your wealth of knowledge and, and services and experience, I guess, to, to make sure that they're getting the best forecast that they can get. As a heavily regulated industry, Aaron, you know, utilities are quite risk averse, as we know. They really lean on having multiple opinions, oftentimes, as far as what the potential outcomes are, so that they don't get blindsided by anything. So, how do you ensure that your products remain adaptable? You know, we talked about climate change, and that can change the meteorological conditions that you're dealing with and and studying and and tracking, and imagine the technology is constantly evolving. So how do you continue to stay up to date and, and keep things new and fresh, I guess, and, and evolving with the times? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, I like to share with, with our utility customers and prospects that you know, we live in a world that our power system wasn't designed for. So, you know, we have to be really proactive as far as enabling both, you know, capital planning in regards to asset resiliency types of investments, along with the intelligent implementation of predictive technologies so that you can better anticipate the risk as well as the uh, impact that is expected from 
different types of environmental hazards you know, relative to the utilities. So a couple things that we do in order to manage and adapt to an evolving and ever-changing climate, you know, first and foremost is with our artificial intelligence and machine learning driven products, we are consistently what, doing what we call retraining. So as new data becomes available from the utility, whether that's, you know, outage management system data or condition monitoring information or, you know, satellite or LIDAR-derived vegetation data sets, we're incorporating that into our models and updating them as frequently as possible in order to ensure that our predictions are as representative of the current environment as possible. Uh, At DTN as well, we're also starting to make some forays into climate modeling and, you know, starting to understand, you know, how will different environmental factors that are of interest to utilities going to evolve in not only, you know, the next three to six months on a seasonal basis, but, you know, out to 30 years in the future. You know, as a utility, you're typically making investments, you know, with a 50-year time horizon. So the more intelligence that we can provide as far as, you know, how they need to design and you know, build resiliency into their power network uh, for the long run is going to ultimately uh, help drive decisions that are going to get the most return on investment and, and bring the best outcomes to their customers. Coming down to the final questions on my list here, but I wanted to get your uh, insight into what is the most innovative thing that you've seen a power company do with the meteorological information that you give them? Is there anything really unusual or unique that you've seen somebody do with this uh, information? Yeah, I think I've already shared quite a few applications where utilities are leveraging environmental and, and weather data. Uh, One area that I didn't mention earlier that uh, I think probably the general public doesn't really ever uh, see firsthand is a concept known as dynamic line rating. This is a pretty common application in the European market, but it hasn't really made it to, to the United States and Canada yet. So the basic concept here, Aaron, is that each transmission line is rated to a certain capacity. You know, there's only so much electricity that can be passed through before uh, heating and and other effects can damage the cables and cause catastrophic failures. You know, when these lines heat up as well, they start to uh, elongate and sag. So there's, you know, certain restrictions as far as, you know, how much electricity you can push through uh, because it would start to inhibit the right, right of way in regards to, you know, vegetation or uh, roadways that, that sit underside the transmission lines. So what utilities uh, are more actively doing now is uh, implementing systems where they can monitor in real time as well as the forecasted ambient conditions. You know, the main factors that go into transmission line cooling, of course, are going to be the presence of solar radiation, you know, so cloud cover, uh, wind speed and direction. You know, if, if winds are perpendicular to a transmission line, they're going to be more cooling to those cables than if they're running parallel. And you know, precipitation, uh, of course, would also help help cool the lines. And ultimately, what utilities are doing is as there's, uh, of course, more renewable energy capacity coming onto the grid, you know, they're having to make difficult decisions as far as can I leverage the existing infrastructure that I have or do I need to build out new transmission? And of course, building out new transmission is extremely expensive. 
So at all costs, utilities are trying to implement new technologies that can optimize and maximize the amount of electricity that can be transmitted uh, through the existing grid infrastructure. So, uh, you know, in Europe where, you know, they have higher penetrations of renewable energy capacity coming onto the system, you know, they've been really proactive as far as implementing these dynamic line rating types of applications. And I would expect that you're going to see some regulation introduced in the near future here in the North American markets, uh, as well as, you know, utilities starting to see the benefit of, of either, you know, deferring or completely avoiding new capital investment. Another interesting application is with solar PV, one of the environmental hazards that's causing most consternation to the owner-operators as well as their insurance providers is hail risk. So when thunderstorms with uh, large hail uh, pass through the domains with solar photovoltaic plants, they can cause you know, millions of dollars of damage to the PV panels. So, you know, most new solar PV installations are in tracking systems. And what can be done proactively if there's a recognized threat of hail, as well as understanding the wind direction, is you can actually tilt uh, these solar PV panels and, you know, essentially park them in a much safer positioning to greatly minimize the risk of uh, hail-caused damage. So, you know, utilities and uh, renewable energy owner-operators that are implementing these technologies are starting to get significant discounts on their insurance coverages, for example, given their mitigation of those risks. Yeah, that's a great idea. All right, Nick. Well, thanks uh, so much for sharing all this important insight. It's really been interesting for me. Is there any last words or, or things that we haven't talked about that you think should be mentioned before we wrap up the show? No, I think it's been a great conversation, Aaron. You know, utilities that are investing in weather and climate intelligence, uh, you know, I think are proving that, you know, they're having a competitive advantage in the market. You know, they're reducing their their safety or, you know, the average duration of, of customer interruptions. You know, they're going to see greater uh, return on shareholder value, you know, through intelligent investment. Uh, and, you know, ultimately, you know, cu- electricity customers are demanding much, much more from their electric utility provider than ever before. You know, post-COVID, you know, so many of us are working from home now. You know, if the power goes out, you know, our productivity is basically taken to zero. So, uh, you know, the voice that customers have you know, through the changing work habits, you know, the advent of social media and their ability to communicate and, uh, you know, crowdsource information. Uh, the pressure has never been higher on utilities to perform. And uh, I think that more than ever, there is uh, an incentive and a motivation to invest in weather and climate technologies. Um, so we're really excited at DTN to be at the forefront of, of helping our utility partners succeed. Well, it sounds like you're doing a great job and and, uh, giving them a lot of valuable information and insights. So I appreciate the work you're doing. And again, for listeners, I've been speaking with Nick Wilson. He's the Director of Product Management for Weather and Climate Risk with DTN. Nick, again, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Aaron.